As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Today's episode of Android's Dungeon. JJB live? Gen Con? Sort of. We're talking about Gen Con, baby. Stay tuned. Joel, Joel, can you hear me now? I can hear you fine. Joel, you are live from Gen Con, is this correct? That's right. Li- live on location. Uh, there are def- I can hear all the people chattering in the background and all the excited children and people dressed up as their favorite video game characters, which has no connection you to... You shut up, I'm on the phone. <laughs> That's how we roll. <laughs> we tell famous board game designers to be quiet because we're doing something else okay. that's more important than uh, Lee Cock, I don't have time to play test another game. Leave me alone. <laughs> there's o- there's only so many ideas I can give you for free before I have to start charging. Get out of there. That's right. Uh, no, the the cats out of the bag. Gen Con's over. Joel is not there anymore. And the key word is anymore because uh, as a loyal, uh, not even loyal is the wrong word. As um, the the dedicated board gamer that he is, Joel. Bryant, JJB, went all the way down to Indianapolis. He he walked, he kayaked, he hang glided, <laughs> and eventually he made it among the throngs of the unwashed masses, which may be quite literal in some cases, but maybe we'll get to that later. Uh, to Indiana. Into Indiana, Indianapolis, to the which you described as a city that exists only for conventions. That's basically the way it, it looks to be, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty small, actually, overall, and there's really nothing outside of sort of the convention center. Then the famous race, the Indianapolis 500, is. But is that even held there, or am I crazy? Yeah, that's right there. Yeah, Indy. Uh, Indy, Indy 500, which is the probably the ironically the biggest race in the world, or one of the biggest. But anyway, uh, so anyway, uh, Joel, I'm going to let you talk here for a bit, but give us a rundown on what Gen Con is, but for anyone who's not totally familiar with this phenomenon that is. Uh, what, I don't even know what Gen Con stands for. Maybe you can help me. Yeah, so we were, I was sent to Gen Con by Android's Dungeon, obviously fully funded. CFR, you uh, paid every cent. To investigate and answer these questions, these hard-hitting <laughs> questions. What is Gen Con and why does it exist? Uh, Gen Con was a war game convention that was uh, brought together at Lake Geneva back in uh, the early 70s. Uh, they would get together. What state is Lake Geneva in? I, I have no clue. I'm going to say Utah, but... Yeah, something like that. One of the states. <laughs> what if one of the states? <laughs> <laughs> and they would get together and play war games, and then they basically got big enough to the point where they said to the hotels in the area, uh, you need to expand in order to accommodate this budding convention. And they said, no, we don't got the money for that. So they basically lost out on tens and tens of billions of dollars in revenue. Um, you heard that right. And Indianapolis jumped at the chance and has expanded. I mean, they were already expanding for other conventions, so it wasn't difficult for them to accommodate Gen Con, which is, uh, yeah, it's short for Geneva Convention, which was both... Uh, Wisconsin. Or, That's where Lake Geneva is. Yeah both a play on, obviously, the Lake Geneva that they originally hosted it and the fact that they were all playing war games. Interesting. So it moved. Uh, Wisconsin now is only known for cheese and uh, a football team that occasionally (laughs) does okay. Idiots. And it moved to Indianapolis, and now it's just still a pretty tiny thing, right? There's about, you know, maybe they get 200 people, 300? people, yeah. 
several people, several events, 400 and 446 new games released. Oh my God. At Gen Con this year. <laughs> now, without diving too deep into this, how many of those games do you think are remotely interesting to you? Yeah, so I was going to say maybe 90 to 95% of those will never uh, catch our attention or, or make it to the hot list or, you know, um, be nominated for any of the prestigious awards that we follow, mm-hmm. such as uh, Golden Geek or uh, Spiel DR or uh, what's the other big one? Uh, I, I can't really think of it. I'm just thinking of the, in, the, the independent ones like the Heavy Cardboard or the uh, the Golden Geek. Yeah, there's a game of the year from someone, isn't there? I, I forget. I know Dice Tower has their own award, too, which shows up on stuff. Yeah, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously... <laughs> developers are prolific at this time, considering the fact that board games are... Um, Would you say they're popular. hot right now? Yeah. So hot right now. So they're all pumping them out. Um, I went to a really interesting a live podcast of Dice Tower where it's basically a parade of the who's who of producers coming on stage, talking to the, um, to the panel, you know, Tom and his friends. <laughs> Wait, how was Tom um, dressed by the way? Uh, like Elton John. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Big red suit and a hat. I always thought he looked like, uh, looked like fat Dick Tracy or something because his outfits were so colorful <laughs> and he looked like a gangster. But Yeah, there were some jokes about his weight. Uh, <laughs> well, really? I good for him. Lost, I guess he's lost a lot of weight lately. So hey, good for him. videos of him getting pies in the face in the previous <laughs> Gen Cons. And <laughs> Interesting. He's looking great. Excellent. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to torpedo you there, but uh, anyway. Yeah, no worries. So, you know, uh, on comes AG and whoever else, and uh, they're all touting their, uh, basically they're announcing games coming soon, and they've got uh, prototypes and that kind of thing up on stage. So that was interesting. So that's basically, that's one aspect of Gen Con, is it's, it's a license to print money for developers where they release games and sell them early to eager uh, purchasers such as myself, customers. And then the other side of Gen Con, well, there's several sides, but <laughs> the other side that we're interested in is uh, the open forum, which is they they try to keep to the to the principle of we're in a we're a convention of people that want to get together and play games. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's that's go. That's what we did. So let's rather than just jump and bounce all over the place. Uh, we, we spoke a bit earlier and Joel was kind enough to uh, put down his thoughts or his, his speaking points in chronological order, which is the best way to go through this because there's just, in case in case you don't know, this is, and we mentioned, I believe, on the, the previous show, not the repeat you heard uh, possibly last week, depending on how you're listening to this or when, but before Joel left, Gen Con is, it's between it and Origins as the biggest North American um uh, gaming fair and I think Origins is more board game focused I could be off on this I'm not totally clear and Gen Con is a little more spread out with its de- like tabletop stuff but uh, either way they're giant conferences so there's a lot to discuss and um, before we jump into the list uh, Joel how what percentage do you think you saw of the entire conference or you were able to co- if consume is the right word I'm glad you asked that because there was this feeling that I had probably uh, mid-Saturday, around 12, 12.30, but three days into the convention where I thought about it, and I'd been jumping from things, think, event to event so much. And obviously the exhibit hall is this massive hall where all the uh, developers are demoing their things. And I realized that I had still only cracked about 5% of the exhibit hall Incredible. as far as looking at the games. And that wasn't even demoing. Yeah. So this is a good thing to keep in mind here that you spent three days or four days total? Four days. Four full days. Four full days. And some of these were early mornings and late nights. And you still feel like you only touched 5% of what Gen Con had to offer. Now, would you say, and I don't want to get too, too weedy here, but would you say that's 5% of stuff you cared about or 5% in general, like overall? 
Well, that's 5% of the games available to look at, so that's definitely something I care about. But as far as the other events available, it's baffling. There's, it's probably even less than that. Incredible. I probably saw 2% of Gen Con. Wild. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it then. Let's start on Thursday. Tell us about uh, your trip down, and uh, then we'll move into what you, what you did on the, the, the first day. Yeah, so driving down to Indianapolis is not too painful, seven and a half hours or so from where we are. And uh, once we got there, uh, basically there were, the other car was about half an hour ahead of us and decided to go check out the con, see if they could get their four-day passes. Well, the line was out the door, around the, around the block a couple times, and they thought, you know what, forget it. We'll go to the KOA, we'll hang out, we'll spend some time, we'll relax, and then we'll come back around 11, see what we can do. So we do that, we go have dinner, you know, hang out downtown for a while, walk up. 11, 11.45, we rock, walk up, and sure enough, the line is still just about as long and we think, okay, so there's just people that are showing up late at night trying to get their passes. The con's not even on yet. There's no event. So we leave again. Oh, there's a man at the back of the line that says, historically, if you show up at 1 a.m., the line should be 15 minutes long. <laughs> so so we, we, buy, we buy it. We go buy some groceries. Uh, we hang out, we play a game of DC deck building, the greatest game of all time, as you know. <laughs> and one forty five rolls around, we walk over to the to the line to see, surely it's just going to be a quick matter of picking up our passes and heading over back to our uh, cabin. Nope. Jack, we waited from one forty five until 4.30 oh. in line. Oh. On the date four. <laughs> Before the conference began, just to get our passes. <laughs> There's got. Come on, Joel. Like you, you. I don't want to go uh, too deep in Joel's personal side of things here, but you work for a company that that kind of manages lines and tickets and passes and things. There's got to be a better way. Am I crazy? There's definitely a better way. I mean, it's just a will call. Yeah. Right? So it's basically just a group of people who you go up to the front, they check your name, they look at your ID. They go find your stuff and they can hand it to you. So, I mean, first of all, you could just have more people in the will call. Uh, or second, you know, you could c- come up with a better system, which I think would probably be somebody's waiting in the line, somebody's going through the line and getting down names, and then they've got a couple of runners, and then all of the stuff for the people in the line is right up front, ready to go. And then it's just a matter of a few seconds, just, what's your name? Oh, yeah, we took your ID in the line. Bam, off you go. Yeah. Uh, the, mat, the long and the short of it is they, I guess they didn't anticipate uh, just how popular Gen Con is becoming because it was sold out every day of the, every day of the conference. Unbelievable. It was incredible. We, uh, we saw a sign up around 11 o'clock on Saturday saying, sorry, Gen Con is now sold out for the rest of the weekend. I, I'm surprised they were taken aback by its popularity because I've never been, but every year when it's Gen Con time, it, that's all I hear about. And it, I'm not talking yeah. about just these really nerdy, deep little circles and you think, okay, well, obviously these guys are diehards. I'm talking about the, let's, we'll be very plain call them the normal folk are talking about Gen Con. Normies. The normies. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm with you. But I mean, popular, but like people talk about what's released, right? That's what's exciting. It's 460 new games coming out. Yeah. And you being able to see them and cruise through and see what's probably going to rise to the top. Mm-hmm. But maybe they didn't anticipate so many people being willing to travel. It's not location. All right. But so, yeah. So you get the tickets uh, after waiting in line a hilarious amount of time and that, that the grognard lied to you too, which that's maybe the part that gets me the most is that he just didn't know <laughs> what he was talking about. Yeah. Um, and the staff, the staff. So you get your, your beautiful 007 lanyards at this time. Yeah, Legendary 007, which is a game, which is funny because I never actually saw the game at Gen Con once. Which, Legend, for those who don't know, Legendary is this series of games that I don't know who publishes it, but they're deck builders. And I think typically... Upper Deck. Is it Upper Deck? Yeah. 
Yeah, so they're more famous for baseball cards and trading cards, I think. Um, but they've got this very popular uh, deck builder series that are all based on movie tie-ins and TV show tie-ins and stuff. And I think it's them and Cryptozoic that are always fighting over the rights to pick up uh, the the newest or hottest uh, sort of name to these things. And that's what it, that was one of those things when Joel posted pictures of his lanyard. Like after I tried to figure out how to steal it and failed, I was looking at the 007 <laughs> Uh, thing on there and I was like are they shilling the the upcoming movie or no no never mind it's a it's a it's another deck building game that who cares but maybe it's great some people swear by uh, legendary aliens or whatever yeah yeah there's legendary alien and a hundred other titles. I mean obviously they made their bread and butter being the Marvel deck builder against the DC deck builder mm-hmm. but it, it seems almost like now Cryptozoic and Legendary have both created these uh, functional engines uh, of card of deck builders and card functions that they can basically now just slap a theme on and say, "Here you go. Interesting. You, you got a theme. You want to promote your movie, your game, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Give us the license. We've got a whole team working to palette swap them. Create. Yeah, exactly. Like you'll see it. Like I have a Hobbit deck builder and a DC deck builder." And a lot of the cards uh, do the same thing. Interesting. Well, I guess uh, at the end of the day, there's only so many things you can have a card do <laughs> that hasn't been done by <laughs> like Dominion or Star Realms or one of, any of the others. But Yeah, it's kind of remarkable that Magic still somehow manages to come up with cards. <laughs> we need to get Harry on to talk about uh, whether he thinks they're running out of ideas or not. But um, yeah. Anyway, so let's let's. I'm looking at the list now. So Thursday, Exhibit Hall. And number of games released, purchases, and prices, pre-releases. Yeah, so I did mention the the number of games because that was pretty baffling for me. I didn't find that out actually until day three when we were at the uh, at the Dice Tower Live. But um, yeah, I, obviously I made a few purchases right away. Wingspan has been unattainable. I managed to grab a copy of that. How many people bought copies out of curiosity? Walking in Thursday morning, it was just a line. Uh, but they had it basically. They they had they had probably more people selling, uh, <laughs> more people selling wingspan than they had people at will call the night before. <laughs> they had a full a ring around the edge, and they just had like basically think of like a fortress. Yeah. Of of wingspan boxes, it, the fl- and they were behind the fortress. When I saw that picture that you you posted of it, it reminded me of, um, I went to a resort in Cabo years ago, and uh, in the night they opened up the, the middle ring bar that was just exactly what you're describing, like a fortress. And all the bartenders are just there, like, firing off drinks, like, and I saw that. I was like, this is just them firing off copies of a board game, which is just incredible to see. And so... Yeah, I was going to say, the. Uh, I don't know how many they sold, but I guarantee they went, they sold out. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Beautiful custom pieces and everything, too, available, and I may have been suckered into a thing or two. I was going to say, did you get the uh, the upgraded pieces or the special ones? Well, I bought the wooden dice tower, which looks very oh, cool, but yeah, I need some glue to put it together. Oh, man. <laughs> it's a pain. <laughs> No glue not included. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it looks real nice. But uh, to be honest, the the uh, cardboard dice tower looks really nice too. All right, so so not necessary. Yeah, not necessary, but still, it's better than kicking the pants, especially for games that typically don't even come with that stuff. And it's like, all right, well, just roll the dice over here, you know, figure it out. But I think it's important for Wingspan, isn't it? So. It'll have a satisfying rattle when you drop the wooden dice into the wooden tower and they all clank about. Are they wooden dice? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, so Wingspan, big one, obviously, especially because of its scarcity, which in itself is a is a saga that if you feel like falling down a rabbit hole, there's a, a couple of threads between the Reddit um, board game thread and the board game geek. But uh, what else did you see at the exhibit hall? Well, like I said, I only managed to see about 5% uh, coming up to uh, mid-Saturday when I kind of just made a final dive effort. So what I did on Saturday afternoon was I just decided I'm not stopping, I'm not demoing anything, I need to see this exhibit hall 
and I went down 26 lines. There's 26 lanes in the exhibit hall, and I just walked from one to the other, one to the other, and it took me about two hours. <laughs> and, and so I saw all of it. How many people are here, too, though? Because the picture you posted looked very dense. Like, are you going, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, the whole time? Yeah, pushing my way through, you know. Some places are more dense than others, obviously. But, yeah, it's it's wild. It's always full. I mean, Gen Con was sold out, so there's obviously a lot of people in there. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really exciting. Uh, We've discussed this a little off, off the show already, but obviously there are games available for purchase that aren't out yet, right? Pre-releases, which are very exciting. <laughs> Games like Letter Jam and things like that, which sold out at Gen Con almost immediately. They were, they were not available as of Friday morning. Interesting. Um, and then other ones, which obviously are, you can demo it now and it's not for sale yet. Games that were released, like Era, which uh, are now, I think, available for general sale, or at least sale as of October, um, which basically, as long as they're picked as long as they sort of picked up steam from the people playing them, uh, you start seeing them in somebody's bag, and then you think, oh, well, maybe I'll buy that too. And so I was, I, <laughs> I'll admit it, I was peeking into people's bags. Um, I wanted to see what the people were buying, Jack. <laughs> and, 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 and what did you see people buying? So I saw a ton of Wingspan, obviously. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of Era, which is Matt Leacock's kind of, play on a euro that maybe we'll talk about uh next week and um and i saw a decent amount of um the sinister six which i wasn't completely sold on but it looked uh we demoed it and it seemed interesting it's basically a theme of playing villains in a spider-man story who licensed this one or who made it couldn't tell you off the top of my head all right so Uh, i'll bring that up so you're walking through all this stuff too. Do you notice that there are some sections that are just flooded with people, and beyond just the these hot games where people like Letter Jam, for example, is being sold at or Wingspan? But were there areas that you found just surrounded by people and it piqued your interest, and is of stuff that you had never heard of or you had never uh, never would have hit your radar otherwise? Yeah. So the two longest lines. <clears throat> let's see if you can guess what they were for. Off the top of your head, I think I mentioned one of them to you. It's so I, with so I'm going to say Everdell for one. And nope. Well, no, Everdell had a bit of a line, but it wasn't that big. Uh, okay. The, the first one was uh, Monster Kingdom Death Monster. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> line around the wall of the convention around starting on the other side come on which is ironically the name of the devil new content wild 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 none of us own a copy i think you you had your friend oh the sound got all weird on me for a second there your friend owned a copy wasn't that the one that uh, she went all in on with some other people and spent like 600 bucks or something 750 us dollars yeah 750 us dollars i'm sitting there agonizing over like <laughs> some of these other purchases 750 ah! and people are lined up to see this not not even like a reprint or something but additional content is it is that what you're saying yeah, basically like a new boss or something like that. Oh, my God. It, Which I counted. You know how that at the beginning of the year when we talked about games that we needed to play? Yeah. I, I watched a little bit of a demo, and I said, you know what, that's good enough. I'm <laughs> checking it off. Wow. Well, maybe so we can I mean, get into that a little bit. When I, I feel like we're going to split up the show into uh, the, the practical side of what you, as far as the games went that you've played, and then maybe more the, the general <laughs> general Gen Con experience. Gen Con, yeah. um, yes, the publisher of Sinister Six is Spin Master Limited, which uh, maybe nobody's ever heard of. I think they do toys, but I could be wrong. Uh, I don't know if it sounds weird again for you right now, but um, anyway. Another line. The other line, which uh, taking it entirely in the other direction from the probably the heaviest game out there, or the most expensive, first of all, uh, the other line, which was the longest, was um, exploding kittens. Oh, come on, Joel! <laughs> a lot of kids. I'll get. I'll grant you a lot of kids, but not all kids. Quite a adults as well yeah and what you would do is you would line up and they were lined up around the block kind of thing uh and then when you got there 
you could buy some things and then uh, something random would happen. There was just this wall of furry kitty uh, face and maybe a couple bucks would get thrown at you or a giant inflated burrito would fly over the top. So, mm. And people, people loved it. They went crazy. Well, it sounds cute, but at the end of the day, it's exploding kittens. I don't get it. it was, yeah, it was kind of a spin the wheel thing. You know, people and, were crazy about free stuff. So you're saying between that and Kingdom Death, those were the two biggest lines? Yeah. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, <laughs> not what you'd expect, eh? Not, the, the exploding kittens thing is a total surprise to me. Because I know it's an extremely popular game, and I know a lot of people have it, but I didn't think that the the Venn diagram of people who go to Gen Con and people who play Exploding Kittens was that, like, there was the circle in between too much. So yeah, strange. I mean, they have a lot of new games that I hadn't heard of, something about a burrito and some other things. Hmm. So, um, yeah. No, it's, uh, right, like, there's, <clears throat> there's definitely, that's the thing about Gen Con, is it's marrying a lot of different communities. So there are heavy war gamer communities that have been there for 40 years, and there's communities of parents and their kids, and they're only interested in light games. Like, I don't know if you heard the buzz around Point Salad. No, not at all. sold out. No. Point Salad being a literal game named after a genre, which is the Point Salad genre, <laughs> uh, which is like, think about maybe Sushi Go, but much, much lighter somehow. Okay. Um, and then obviously uh, all the role playing and everything else that goes on, all the fur, furry uh, furry larps. Unbelievable. <laughs> Whatever else you can come up with. Uh, okay. Well, let's get uh, let's get away from uh, dark dark subjects and move on to uh, <laughs> more interesting subjects, which are similar to tournaments uh, that are held. Exactly, tournaments that are held. So Gen Con isn't just known for <clears throat> uh, panels and people showing off games. It's also famous for uh, people running tournaments of some of their favorite games. And it goes from super popular things like, um, let's say, DC, for example, new and uh, fresh and hip and with it, tuck, 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 all the way back to old school classics like Diplomacy. Joel, tell us yeah. about the Diplomacy tournament you participated in. So Thursday was a busy day for me and uh, I had to. I didn't have time to do much because at noon, right in the middle of that giant stadium where the Colts play, um, I sat down and participated in the Diplomacy U.S. Finals. And what was funny about it was right behind us was a Learn to Play Diplomacy event, which was uh, all new players getting together and sitting down. And I was a little bit envious, like that I could have just gone over and. And, and played just a nice regular game of diplomacy instead of this intense uh, madness. But, Jack, <laughs> some of these people have been doing this tournament and every other tournament of diplomacy around yeah. the U.S. for 10 years going. <laughs> they all know each other. Oh, no. They've all been playing with each other for 10 years, <laughs> and here I am, right? Um, hi, no, this is my first game. Here, <laughs> any tournament setting. Did you, right, feel like the, you up, right? <laughs> did you feel like the new kid at summer camp where they all have their traditions and they're all they're in jokes and you're sitting there just kind of chuckling to yourself trying to fit in? Yeah, exactly. They all knew each other, um, which was uh, both a challenge and an advantage for me, I think, because I think some of them harbored some long-standing hostility. <laughs> That's a good point. You don't, okay. you don't need in a, in a game of diplomacy. You're not going to get very far. Right. Well, let's but, let's avoid. Uh, we don't need to rehash how to play diplomacy. If somebody's interested, they can look it up. But how about we describe the format? Yeah. So it was really interesting because obviously they don't have time for full game. This game is a long game that can last up to seven hours. So what they do is they set a hard time limit, twelve minutes for your twelve minutes for your first round, and ten minutes after that, and whoever has the most centers at the end of five years. Uh, you'll enter your um, your number into uh, your ranking for that country. So if you're England and you ended up with 15, uh, you'd say, okay, England 15, this guy, right? And then they play that um, it was four times a day for three days leading up to the Sunday finals. So that would be uh, 12 rounds each round having between three and five games 
So a whole lot of games. In every single one of those games, that country is participating. And you have to get the best country score out of every single one of those games in order to make it to the finals. So basically, people are pushing hard, playing very aggressive, and hoping that their score, whatever it ends up being, uh, gets them into the final round. So how did it go for you? Not bad, actually. Uh, I don't think I was anywhere near uh, being asked to the finals. I think I ended up with five for England. But I wasn't dead, and I was proud of that. Uh, what ended up happening was I supported France uh, and Germany supported Russia. Um, Russia got really big, France got quite big, and then France decided that they were going to, instead of uh, allying with me against Germany and Russia, turn on me. <laughs> but I managed to turn around at the exact perfect moment and hold them off, and I actually ended up taking a couple of their centers away from them. Nice. Uh so it ended up with Russia kind of sweeping across the map. They got 15, which they said wasn't even close to what they were going to need to get to the finals, but they were very good, like incredible. Like this guy negotiated like the devil. It was this crazy experience, <laughs> man. It was really wild just did you, to meet this guy, really. Did you learn anything from him? Yeah, for sure. But you know what? Um, mechanically, uh, nobody there was really good. I think that it's kind of, there's two aspects to diplomacy, right? We've talked about this before, but there's the mechanical skill and the diplomatic skill. And uh, you need to marry the two. And these guys were really good at the diplomatic skill. And I think basically what it boils down to is if you play a lot in person, that's what you develop. Mm -hmm. If you play a lot online, you develop a lot more mechanical skill. Mm -hmm. I've always been curious about that because I think, uh, I don't know if you do it as much, but I think Stefan has just played an ungodly amount of diplomacy online. And uh, I always thought it would be hilarious to see um, what would happen if you went to one of these tournaments in person because he doesn't play a lot of games in person as much, even with uh, the work games, right? Yeah, and I think that's a good point because he gets, he gets a lot, people make fun of him a lot for being so harsh to his allies because he's seeing them not play, making optimal plays, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that when you play online a lot, that's kind of something that <laughs> that you uh, kind of, one of your pitfalls when you have to interact with people. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so you, you played, but you, overall you played one game of Diplomacy. You did pretty well, especially considering it's your first tournament. And then uh, you find out you don't place, or you find out your score and you're like the odds are this is not going to be worth it, so you just go off and do your own thing? Well, well, you haven't. You have to wait until Sunday to hear back the results anyway. So. Yeah. So, yeah, and obviously I wasn't holding my breath. Mm -hmm. Would uh, you... The rest of Thursday was basically uh, trying out new games at the Board Game Geek Hot Room, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. You better run. You better run. Yes, you better run to the city of You better run. You better run. Yep, you better run to the city of Yes, you better run. You better run. Yes, you better run to the city of Yes, you better run. You better run. You better run to the city of as you stand for your maker in a state of shame Cause your robes are covered in mud When you kneel at the feet of a woman of the street The gutters will run with blood Yet they will run with blood Yes, you better run To the city of the red You better run You better run To the city of in the days of madness, my brother, my sisters, when you drag toward the hell mouth, you will beg for the end, but there ain't gonna be one friend, for the grave will spew you out, a head will spew you out. You better run. Yes, you better run. To the city of the You better run. You better run. You better run. To the city of the 
You'll be working in the darkness against your fellow man And you'll find your call to come forward And you'll scrub and you'll scrub it But the trouble is above The blood it won't wash off No, it won't wash off you better run to the city of refuge. You better run. Yes, and you better run. Yes, you better run. Yes, you better run. by a uh, um, social situation game, I would call it. It's called a National Strategy and Defense something. Yeah, I, I just have the uh, acronym in front of me. So let's let's talk about the Board Game Geek thing first, and then we'll move into this one I really want to hear about. Um, board Game Geek, biggest website for board games, without a question. Uh, they have the hotness, which I don't know what the... <clears throat> what the ratio of comparison to the list on the website to the room was. Um, but if you look at this, the, the games on the side of this website, it tells you what, I, I don't even know how, what the metric is. It's, is it people clicking on it or what, uh, or like searching it, but describe the room for us, Joel. It's a mystery to me as far as what games were selected. Uh, one thing that was omitted, which obviously was a bit of a baffling um, result is, is Wingspan was not in the hot games room. Mm -hmm. But um, it's basically a list of what Board Game Geek considers to be the important games of Gen Con, or the, the games that will be or are currently popular at Gen Con, and they just they get about five or six copies of each one, and they put them in a room, and then uh, they charge $4 for every two hours. Unbelievable. For people to come in and uh, come in and play. Unbelievable. Yep. That's the long and the short of it. And basically, it was always <clears throat> up and up until from four on. It was always full. And from four on, you weren't allowed to use these generic tickets to get in. You had to actually have ordered the special tickets because <laughs> otherwise, the people with passes wouldn't have been able to get in. Oh my God! But the appeal of it, Jack, is you go through the exhibit hall. Uh huh. You see all these games; they all look cool. You know, you see, um, what was that uh, Man on the Moon one that you just backed? One small step. One small step, which looks awesome, right? But you can do a ten, fifteen minute demo, mm -hmm. and then start, walk away, or you can wait in a long line to do a demo, <laughs> or you can say that looks really cool. Let's play it tonight at the hot games room. Right? Okay. So it kind of it allows you to create like a mental note of all the things that you think are interesting as you sure. go through the exhibit hall and all the things that have been released, and then really sit down and hash them out. But don't you feel yeah. though, because one of the main things that's kind of been brought up here is the the sheer lack of time. There's so much to see and do. Do you? Yeah. Th for me, I think I would have trouble sacrificing two hours, three hours to sit down and learn one of these games, especially something like One Small Step, which to me doesn't look like, uh, oh, let's just sit down and learn this game. Like, There's definitely some things that maybe look lighter or quicker to figure out, and maybe you've seen it demoed, maybe you have a better idea of it, but I have I think you and I have played enough games from scratch, like learning things from the get-go to know that this is sometimes not the quickest or smoothest uh, experiences. And it seemed like a, a significant chunk of your time to kind of dedicate to a task like this. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, the time is definitely at a premium, which is something I wanted to point out is that when we had event after event after event and all these big things that we had to go to, we still managed to squeeze in on this weekend, which, you know, every time slot is um, critical, eight hours in the hot games room. Wild. And that's just because, you know, there are all these 
really interesting new games that you really want to try out, and obviously you want to try them before you're gone. And also, we just had a lot of fun. Uh, so we spent four hours in there on Thursday and four hours in there on Saturday night. Okay. And Rodney Smith was there, and we hung out with Rodney Smith, and uh, he was playing a game right by us. You know who Rodney Smith is? The name sounds really familiar. I'm blanking on it, though. He's probably the friendliest guy in board games. He's the guy that does the watch that played. Oh, yeah. Is he the... Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Is he the guy with the, the English accent, or is he the uh, um, the smiley guy who does like the box flip thing? Super smiley, friendly Rodney Smith from Toronto, actually. Oh, he's Canadian. Look at that. Yeah, and um, I flew back with him. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't next to him on the plane, but he was there on my flight. Oh, that's funny. And... Um, yeah, you think about him as just the nice thing about Watch It Played. Obviously, they're all sponsored, <clears throat> right? Like, it's games paying him to make the videos. Mm -hmm. The nice thing about it is there's no review, and I never really thought about that before, but it's, it's just somebody who's telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've probably watched at least six of his videos just to learn how to do a thing and then it's like okay right i'm getting it now it's usually kind of right. a this is no insult to rodney but it's usually a last ditch thing to it's like i'm not getting this so you end up looking up a yeah. video of like rado or vassal or whoever and uh, exactly and, and I, i've learned now that um there's a reason for that and that is his videos are actually slightly more informed than the rule book and that's because the rulebook comes out, uh, and obviously the game wants to partners with him or pays him to do it, and he has a period between when the game is released and when he makes this video where he goes back and forth with the developers and asks them questions based off him him having re watched the rulebook or read the rulebook mm -hmm. and all the questions posted on Board Game Geek, uh, and then puts all of that so like all the questions that we're asking as we're reading the rulebook. Uh, either him or somebody online has already asked, and he's incorporated that into his videos. So, so that's pretty cool. So did you learn this from having a chat with him, or how do you know these, these these facts? A combination of talking to him and reading about him on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a Wikipedia entry? That's incredible. <clears throat> Don't watch it play, it does. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, so can you give us a quick rundown of what you spent eight hours playing? Yeah, we played a lot of Era. We played... Uh, was that game with the port and the production? Um, the name is escaping me, but it arrived for you just during Gen Con. Ragusa. Ragusa, yeah. It's, oh, oh, it's sorry, not. It's yeah, don't worry, Joel. It's not. It's not here yet. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, so we played some Ragusa. We played a couple other light games and Letter Jam. We played a whole lot of. Um, we basically just played anything that uh, we thought looked interesting. And I actually got out a lot more games than I played just to kind of look at the box. And, uh -huh. well, obviously, City of City Broad Shoulders, I got it out. I looked at the rules, read all 45 pages. <laughs> I didn't actually read it. <laughs> <There's a lot. laughs> we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, cool. All right, so <clears throat> we have the Board Game Geek Hot Room. And you, you go there, you meet Rodney, uh, he instantly falls in love with us, and he says, I, he's begging to be on Android's Dungeon, we say, we'll see if we can fit him in. Um, That's right, he said, uh, please, 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 I'm a huge fan of the show. <laughs> like, he's not sure if you can make it, he needs the droid dungeon bump. Uh, yeah, and, right. you, and you leave him hanging, like, uh, you always leave him wanting more. And you go right. to the uh, near sensory deprivation machine. Yeah, so I've got it up now, I, I remember what it is, it's uh, national security decision-making game. And the interesting thing about the NSTM is it's actually partnered with the military, and the military does these kinds of exercises all the time uh, as part of their training. And they obviously review all the data and everything that's happened, and they go back and they do it over and over again, trying to improve their, um, basically, their decision-making skills. And there's something in there with, you know, Super nerds, <laughs> super nerds, and the military. You know, there, there were code crackers in, in the World War World War Two that uh, were critical in their victory or the U.S. victory against Japan, etc., etc. Okay. Um, so super nerds doing their best to figure out the optimal actions in a 
high crisis situation. So what was the high crisis um, situation, Joel? <laughs> uh, near, so this was a near future uh, global crisis, um, not really so much a, a poor situation at the outset, but just think about this. Uh, basically, Ivanka has been elected president in the United States uh, after her late father passed away, and um, that's right, Ivanka Trump. And uh, <laughs> wait, hold. On. Are you joking, or is this the, what they actually set it up as? <laughs> it's real. And um, oh, <laughs> we are playing as the Soviet Union, and, Soviet, Union. Soviet Union, but Russia. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and China. So okay. obviously, if there were more people, they might have introduced. Uh, I think uh, Iran can be a nation, and there's uh, some other minor nations that can exist. But in, in our situation, we have basically the game operators um, being or simulating the United States, mm-hmm. and we were Russia and China. How many people were playing? About 40 to 60. 40 to 60 people. Okay, and I'm sorry, I have to, I, I like to figure out the logistics of this. So are the people running it, do they have microphones or are they just speaking loudly or would they blow a whistle or something when they want to get everyone's attention? Like how is, this, this sounds to me like chaos. So they've obviously been doing this a long time, so they've figured out what works and what doesn't. And what they've discovered is the most useful way to express information to the masses is um, by the news. So they have a news feed up. It's basically like, a, think of it like a Twitter feed, but with longer text allowed. And all of the major newspapers are there, the Prada, uh, the U.S. Weekly, whatever. And uh, they're all just spitting out news information based off of what's happening in the game. And that's how you learn everything. Hmm. Uh, on top of that, each country has sort of a, I can't remember what they're called, a, a cell cell guide or something like this. And it, basically it's a staff who is the lead, who is basically the administrator for that country. Okay, and they're not involved cool. in the country at all. But this is what you submit all of your nation's decisions to. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that will give you information, of critical information. For example, everybody in Russia come come here and then everybody in russia comes together and he says this person here has been found to have been trading secrets to the chinese and will now be publicly executed oh (laughs) (laughs) and that's not something that he's done himself but basically we have like the the russian secret police and they're going around and listening in on people's conversations and trying to figure out who's a traitor and then um you know uh, submitting that information to Putin, who will then, because uh, obviously Putin's still alive. Yeah, right. And um, <clears throat> and then uh, Putin, if Putin approves, they go and arrest him and uh, string him up. So what happens? Is, so is sorry. Is this an actual? I'm confused. Is this an actual player character who has been accused yeah. of spying? So what happens if he's uh, strung up? Is he out of the game? So they kill him, and then. They suddenly remember that he had like a distant cousin uh. somehow just like him, <laughs> and then that person enters the game in different role or something, kind of like werewolf. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, what's the? How do you win the game though? Is what? What are you doing this entire time? It's madness. It's a concept that I've never encountered before. But basically, what's happening is um, each country is broken up into small sectors. Sometimes you're an individual, like you might be. I think Harry was um, money and um, what's the market you know, trading or whatever, money and trading. Sure. Right? So he represents an entity. But then there's also individuals. Like, for example, uh, Vladimir Putin is there and there's a uh, secretary of defense and etc. right? And so basically all these individuals exist at the beginning of the game and are assigned by the game. And then you can also gain and lose roles, like prime minister. Hmm. Like um, uh, I was leader of the national defense, um, et cetera, et cetera. And basically, you gain those by using your political power. Basically, it's hard to explain, but basically, what you're going, doing 
is you're walking around, you're talking to people, and you're signing pieces of paper. So are these actual formal printed off documents or are you just like you have some scratch paper and you write something down, you get them to sign it and then you show it to the administrator who says, okay, so-and-so has approved this decision? Well, they're, semi, they're blank templates with uh, spaces for signatures and spaces for writing what your proposal is. Mm-hmm. And you basically write what you want to happen and then you get the important signatures. Like, for example, uh, you need two-thirds majority of the Duma to sign and then if if everything gets signed, then you submit that to the controller, and then uh, it exists. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I have to say, this sounds tons of fun to me. Like, it sounds right up my alley of this, it, like a real-life board game, essentially, of, uh, of running around and trying to get pieces in order and try to do things. Like, um, did you enjoy it? Oh, it was, it was incredible. It was four and a half hours, and it went by in a flash. But I will say that it was a little not structured enough Mm. and that the site version, which was the exact same thing, but even more people, maybe 75 people, uh, the next or on Saturday was better by miles. It was probably 75% better. Now, is that because more people or why? Just the concept of it was incredible. Yeah. Why, Why was it better the second day? More structure, more goals. Uh, basically, the game was be- the game existed instead of just being a sandbox. Interesting. Would you do it again? Absolutely. Do you think you could run one yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> These guys were uh, nuts. They had computers and they were moving units around maps and. Uh, basically uh, updating in real time all of these things that were happening in all the different countries all at once. Well, we got to keep an eye out to see if they'll come to Canada or they'll do something here because this sounds like something. Yeah, they there. might come to Vancouver at some point. Joel, I said Canada, um, I not actually... Vancouver. <laughs> I mean Southern <laughs> oh, right, Ontario. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got to go. Uh, it looks like it's dinner time, but uh, hopefully you'll we can wrap things up and uh, you'll have some content to talk about yeah, so I think we'll call it there, and you can uh, go eat your dinner. We've got tons of stuff to still talk about and impressions about games and whatnot, but uh, say hi to everyone for me and enjoy your dinner, and we'll see you next yeah. week when you're back. Just scratch the surface, all right? Take all right. care. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Good week. Thank you, Joel, for calling in from the East Coast, where he is currently hunkered down to uh, recover from Gen Con and uh, all the things that happened there with him. Obviously, lots of stuff to talk about. And if you have any other questions about Gen Con that we didn't quite get to at this time, maybe hold off. We're going to get to it next week. Um, In the meantime, though, feel free to look up uh, what kind of the hot games were at Gen Con. I'm sure you can just go to Board Game Geek and uh, look at the hotness there, and that's close enough because usually there's just a straight line from Gen Con to Board Game Geek with regard to content, whatever was popular there. Um, and I recommend you look up some of the stuff that we talked about. And I'm definitely going to be looking up that NSDM or whatever the heck that is because it sounds crazy and um, loads of fun. But uh, some of the stuff we talked about, just if you want to refresh yourself, Everdell, um, Letter Jam, Sinister Six, Wingspan, City of Broad Shoulders, or Big Shoulders, excuse me, Broad Shoulders, which Joel said, um, and um, I I forget the era, and One Small Step. And so these are some games that hopefully you'll be hearing about. Uh, as well as uh, Kingdom Death Monster and Exploding Kittens. Kingdom Death Monster, I think we've talked about a little bit. Joel and I are indifferent to, in the, to the extreme, but we're not against playing it. And um, Exploding Kittens, we've got a copy of it. Uh, it is a game. It is hot potato with randomness and cards, and it's silly. So if you're a child, you might enjoy it. Or if you're someone who really just wants a super light experience that's not going to knock people's socks off, then maybe this is for you. Um, But aside from that, there's not much to talk about. So we'll be back next week with some more content. And uh, stay tuned.
Brown. 